0: All right, great to see everybody. Let me add my welcome to our preschool families. Uh, my name is David Lyle. They still call me the new guy around here. Um, only been here for about a year and a half or so. But obviously, as Kami said, we haven't done this in a couple of years. So it's truly an honor to be a part of this tradition. Um, it goes back 46 years. In fact, it was really neat to see Char Boyer and Sandy Miller walk in today. They were actually the ones that started this thing way back in the day. So 46 years. Um, I'm actually wondering, how many of you out there went to preschool here? Good, I see some hands, excellent, isn't that cool? Um, so what a legacy that this place has, um, and it's really truly an honor to just be a part of your lives. So also I'd like to add a special welcome to those of you joining us online if you're checking out a recording of this later in the week. Um, if you came here in person, I certainly hope that you didn't hit your head on that humble sign that we have installed in the back. Because if you did, it means you need to keep working on your humility, right? (laughs) need to get a little bit lower, right? Bend the knee a little bit, bow the head. As we prepare our hearts in humility for celebrating what we celebrate on Christmas morning, it's so important that we think about it uh, in that regard because humility is a challenging thing for all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, It's one of those things where like the moment you think you have it, by definition, it's gone. And so, when we look across Scripture, we see humility talked about all over the place, but in particular, this passage that we're focused on during this Advent season. It's a song that Mary, the mother of Jesus, composed and sang when she visited her cousin Elizabeth shortly after she learned from the angel Gabriel that God had chosen her to give birth to this long-awaited Messiah. The song is called The Magnificate. And it sings about what's often referred to as the great reversal, where the first are last, the last are first, the proud are scattered, and the humble are exalted. It's how things work in God's kingdom, and it's completely counter to how things operate in this world. You see, the things that the world prizes, God despises, and the things that God prizes, the world despises. Just look at how we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is all about the celebration of God saving and redeeming his people. And look what the world has done to it. The world has turned it into extraordinary materialism, extraordinary commercialism. But you see, the Messiah didn't come in the extraordinary. He didn't come with jolly elves, Santa, or even Clark Griswold's Trinkling Lights. He came on an ordinary night in an ordinary town to an ordinary humble peasant woman in an ordinary barn visited by ordinary shepherds. It was indeed a humble arrival for an extraordinary Messiah who came to usher in his extraordinary kingdom. And in so doing, he's going to flip our worlds upside down. And that's what this song that Mary sings regarding the great reversal is all about. Now last week we spent some time appreciating the context of Jesus' arrival as we kind of did this review of wave top history of our faith. If you missed it, I encourage you to check it out. You can always check out our sermons, 4 It's really that easy. Um, it's just 20 minutes. We, our sermons are no longer than 20 minutes. Um, and it's a great way during a lunch break to just kind of get caught up on things or just see where we've been. Last week though, we saw how from creation to today, there's a consistent threefold theme that seems to emerge. First, we see that God sets apart a people for himself, his adopted children, heirs of his kingdom. And as such, they're called out to be different from the world in their outlook and in their behavior. Second, but from creation today, God's people have continually rebelled against him against being his chosen nation. They've simply refused to humble themselves before Almighty God. And when God's adopted children rebel, or they sin against him, it separates them from him, and they experience suffering. All suffering is a result of our sin. If you think about the suffering you're going through right now, it's generally a result of your own personal sin, the sin of somebody else around you who's impacting you, Perhaps even the sin of our fathers, generational sin, where two or three generations before you, sins happened that now impact your personal life. And if it's not one of those, then we know for certain it comes from the fall. We know that in the fall, we see all sorts of suffering that's gonna be a result of natural catastrophes, diseases, all that kind of suffering out there. And we even see Paul write about this. He talks about all of creation groaning. And that's exactly why For the 700 or so years before Jesus came, Israel had endured such intense suffering. They had rebelled against God to such an extent that He gave them over to the Assyrians and the Babylonians, who exiled them, enslaved them, and oppressed the nation Israel to the point where they were reduced to mere ashes. Only a remnant remained, and that remnant was then subject to the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And during the some 400 years leading up to Christ's birth, God remained completely silent. No prophets spoke, all because the proud nation of Israel rebelled, refusing to humble themselves before Almighty God. And then, third, but fortunately, God doesn't abandon his people, he saves them in remembrance of his promises, those five major covenants we talked about last week, the one with Noah abraham moses david and then of course the new covenant the one that we live under where god not only promised to forgive the sins of his people but to remember them no more and so when sin causes us to suffer at the hands of a proud and sinful world god reverses this condition that's the great reversal he pulls us up out of the pit up out of the ashes of our sinful lives rescuing us from our suffering and why Because God is merciful. It's just who He is. And that's where we pick up the single line of our text that we're looking at today. Mary sings, and His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. So let's start by digging into this word mercy. The original word used here is alejos, and it means kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted with the desire to help them so it's not just kindness and goodwill most of us have that in our hearts but it's actually doing something about it it's a desire to help them and when this word mercy is used in scripture in the context of god extending mercy to man it unfolds along two dimensions we see it physically and we see it spiritually now we tend to focus on the physical because that's like the here and now But the spiritual has eternal implications, so both of them are very important. But whether we're focused on physical or spiritual, as we saw last week when we looked at Israel's history, God has been in a near constant state of showing mercy to his beloved children really since creation, extending kindness and goodwill to help his people whenever they're physically or spiritually miserable or afflicted. And those two words, miserable and afflicted, certainly capture the condition of the remaining remnant of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. Exiled and oppressed for over 700 years, they were physically afflicted, beat down by their oppressors. And with no prophets to guide them for approximately 400 of those years, they were certainly depressed, miserable spiritually, because they were standing before a silent god and so when mary hears the news about the impending messiah's arrival she knows that relief is in sight god has not forgotten his promise to send a messiah because he is a merciful god desiring to help his people even though they brought on all of this suffering simply because they refused to humble themselves before the lord and when we look around beaver county In the year 2022 not a whole lot has changed has it we're still a proud and rebellious people we want things on our terms not god's terms and we refuse to humble ourselves before god now each one of us here is suffering at some level or another either physically or spiritually or perhaps both and it's why we say each week just like cami talked about that it is okay to not be okay every one of us in here is a process at some level or another. We don't pretend to be perfect here at this church. Yes, for sure, the world is great at teaching us how to put face paint on, to make ourselves look good, especially on social media. But the truth is, we're all in a desperate need of relief. We're all in need of God's mercy to help us. And as Mary sings, his mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. So here we are again, stumbling across another reference to the fear of the Lord. It's all over Scripture. Depending on the translation you use, the fear of the Lord appears exactly in those words 27 times, and a call to fear God more generally some 84 times. And that's because it's foundational to our relationship with God. Perhaps most famously, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or knowledge or understanding. In other words, it's where it all starts. It's how we begin to know the truth of who God is and who we are. So to begin to appreciate what is meant by this phrase, fear the Lord, let's take a quick look at some Old Testament and New Testament scripture. This is Solomon's conclusion. In the Old Testament after turning the meaning of life around in the book of Ecclesiastes for 12 chapters, he ends his book this way, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So that's it. After the wisest man had considered all things, he concluded "Were to fear God and keep his commands. Now let's check out what Luke writes in the New Testament after Paul's conversion. He writes, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So even on this side of the cross, the call to fear God hasn't changed. We're to walk in the fear of the Lord. So if that's how we're supposed to live out our lives, we probably better have a good understanding of what it means to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Well, the original word for fear means respect, reverence, awe, terror, and even dread. Now, most of us are probably okay with those first three, respect, reverence, and awe. After all, God did create us, and we know how to do that. But we tend to bristle a bit at the words terror and dread, because we don't often use words like that in 2022. We don't want to offend people, so we talk like that. But the thing is, when you deal with truth, we don't get to pick and choose the words we like they all apply and in the original language all five of these words Applied to how it was used. So how do we think about experiencing terror and dread before God? well first The writer of Hebrews describes God as a consuming fire. So he's clearly not to be taken lightly second C.S. Lewis gives us another way to think about it in the Chronicle of Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You guys probably remember these four brothers and sisters. They go into this wardrobe or this closet, and it launches them into this fictitious world of Narnia, where after arriving, the white witch kidnaps one of the boys, Edmund. When his three siblings go to look for him, they run across this guy named Mr. Beaver, who tells them all about Oslin, who's a lion, and he represents Jesus. And Mr. Beaver tells them how Oslin can actually help them save Edmund. And then Edmund's sister asks this question, Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mr. Beaver responds, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So that's another way for us to begin to think about who God is and how we are to relate to him So he's not to be taken lightly. He's not safe, but he's good And then this graphic that we use so often around here It gives us yet another way to think all about this particular topic because it reminds us first and foremost that God is Sovereign. He is all-present all-powerful and all-knowing, meaning he's in complete control of absolutely everything. But God is also good. He isn't safe, but he's good. He's the definition of love. He's perfectly holy, and he is the author of truth, meaning he just speaks things into existence. Back at creation, he wasn't busy working with his hands or anything. He would just speak things into existence he would say let there be light and there was light and that light travels at two hundred ninety nine million seven hundred ninety two thousand four hundred fifty eight meters per second and you know why because God said so he is the author of truth and who are we well we're that little guy up there on the graphic kind of gazing up into the cosmos we're made in his image we're capable of loving, and we're free to choose how we will respond to it all. Did you hear that? We're free to choose. You see, our God is so powerful in his sovereignty that he can grant us choice and still be in complete control of absolutely everything. That's something to put in your pipe start smoking this week. you got to spend a little time with that one, right? How can that be? that is the power of the god that we serve and so our response to this truth about who god is and who we are is that we're to have a healthy fear of the lord because as mary sings god directs his mercy to those who fear him so now that we understand this hopefully just a little bit better what does it actually look like from a practical perspective well most certainly does not mean that we should walk around in our lives worried that God's gonna zap us one day. That's not the way we're supposed to live. We should live rather out of respect, out of reverence, out of awe for him, who he is and his love and his mercy, so much so that we'd be terrified or dread the very thought of ever letting him down. So i told this story, I don't know, a couple months ago or so, but I feel like it's important to tell it again because it really illustrates this point well. When I was in high school, hanging out with several of my buddies, and you know, whenever a bunch of teenage boys hang together, someone always comes up with a really dumb idea. And that day, one of my buddies had this idea that, hey, we're going to go to the main street of town on a Friday night, we're going to find a back alley, we're going to scale some fire escape with a bunch of cartons of eggs, and we're going to chuck these eggs on top of a bunch of cars that are going down the main street of town. Won't that be a blast, right? What a great way to spend a Friday night. And so I remember my buddies, they kind of jumped up. They started climbing to the top, and I was like the last one still on the ground. And I was about to jump up, and something inside of me just said, don't do it. So I kind of turned around, and I started walking away, and I said, hey, guys, I'm out. And I remember one of my buddies being up on the roof, and he kind of shouted down at me. He said, what are you afraid of? What are your old mans going to do to you if we get caught? And, you know, as I reflected back on that, I wasn't that concerned about what my dad would do to me. That's not why I walked away. I walked away because I was afraid of what it would have done to my dad. It would have totally wrecked him. It would have been a complete slap in his face because that's not the way that he raised me. You see, I had a healthy fear of my dad. I had respect, reverence, and awe for him. I wanted to please him. He's my dad. I dreaded the thought of ever letting him down. I desired to humble myself Before his authority and that's what it means to have a healthy fear of the Lord It's how we put it into practice in our lives that we respect Revere and are in awe of who God is that we desire to humble ourselves Before his authority and that's also why Mary's song links God's mercy to us having a healthy fear of the Lord because when we experience God's mercy And he shows us the kindness in our misery and in our affliction physically by healing and sustaining us or spiritually by forgiving our sins and remembering them no more. We're so humbled by it that we're terrified. We even dread the thought of ever disappointing him. And it's so important that we keep this perspective on our lives because we can so easily get to thinking we're kind of a big deal, that God somehow owes us although we deserve a different set of circumstances. But the truth is that God is sovereign, he is good, and he extends mercy to those who fear him. And he's done this from generation to generation because that's just who he is. He is unchanging in his mercy. That's why he sent his son some 2,000 years ago to extend mercy to those who fear him.